Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 31. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, Walter. Good morning, church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dennis Gardner. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Terra Nova Church. Let me tell you something about myself that you may not know. In undergrad, I got an A in a public speaking course. I got an A plus in public speaking. Has that helped me preaching? Maybe a little bit, but I'll tell you this. My public speaking course told me that when you start speaking, that you should have an attention-grabbing opening line or a lighthearted joke that makes a connection with people. Or, you know, if you've been in a church long enough, you know that a pastor will usually tell a, a humorous anecdote about how he had a fight with his wife and kids that morning. I got nothing. Knock, knock. I don't know. Knock, knock jokes are stupid. Truth is, I just really want to get into it today. Because there's a lot to get into. So we are just going to jump right into it. So please consider my lack of introduction as my introduction. Today is part three in Romans when we talk about faith. Part three of better faith. If you were here last week, you might remember that uh, we said that faith is forward-looking. It's future-looking. Because the founder and the perfecter of our faith, Christ, is completely trustworthy. Faith is forward-looking. This week's main point, boom, and I want you to remember the forward-looking part, is that faith, our faith, is marked by sacrifice and suffering and salvation. And that is going to inform our roadmap, which looks just like this. Faith is marked by sacrifice, faith is marked by suffering, and our faith is marked by salvation. And by following the roadmap today, I will be bouncing all around today's passage, so you may want to keep your Bible open to Hebrews 11, or you may want to keep your Bible app open. If you don't have a Bible today, um, you can simply raise your hand, and Corey will bring you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, 
That is your Bible to keep. Right up here, right back here. Awesome. Um, so before we do that, let's get into it. Let's pray for a second, okay? Father, we are all here by your sovereignty. There is a reason that we are here in this building and in this place today, and it's because that's where you have called us. And we're here because we want to know you more, and we want to know you through the corporate worship, and we want to know you through your written word, and we want to know you through the sacrament of communion. So as we want to know you, Father, we ask that you would give us open eyes, open ears, open hearts to hear what God is saying to us today. And that we would go from this place today knowing that we have heard and received something from you. And we believe that in faith. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So let's get into it. Faith marked by sacrifice. And sacrifice is one of those words that can be studied extensively. And I know that because I kind of fell down a rabbit hole this week while I was preparing uh, I started down that path, and then I, I suddenly remembered a quote from a, a movie about Martin Luther. You may have seen this one. Um, it was a scene where Luther was sitting there, and he was translating Erasmus's Greek text into, in, into German. And in a moment of frustration, the Luther said, Words are like children. The more care you lavish on them, the more they demand. And as soon as I remembered that, I was like, okay, you, you need to get out of this rabbit hole. But, sal but um, sacrifice is one of those words. So for our purposes this morning, what I'd like to do is give a definition that applies to the situations and the actions that are within today's passage. And that definition is this. Sacrifice is the denial of self-based desires for the sake of something else. It's a pretty standard definition. And within our nine verses alone today, we are going to see a significant sacrifice of tremendous affluence. And what we're going to see is we're going to see three instances of sacrificing safety by defying kings. So let's look at Moses' first sacrifice in today's passage, right? That of denying, as the passage says, the fleeting pleasures of sin and the treasures of Egypt. Moses. Moses chose to be associated Moses chose to be associated with the impoverished Israelites and with the God of Abraham. And contrary to, to cinematic depictions that we've seen of Moses, um, Hollywood can brazenly tweak plots and timelines for the sake of a big reveal, but, but reading a little more, it seems that Moses had a fully embraced his Jewish heritage a lot earlier than Hollywood would leave us to believe. Right? He may have actually always been fully aware of his Jewish heritage. And in that, Moses was probably fully aware of Israel's history and all of God's promises. And it was that knowledge that seems to have led Moses to prefer his Hebrew people over the culture of Egypt. And the culture of Egypt was completely at Moses' disposal because he was the nephew of the pharaoh. And also, if you look at your TV screen, there are enough documentaries about ancient Egypt to know that if one had a depraved appetite, like that of Midas or Caligula, ancient Egypt palace would have been a favorable place to be for you. But verse 25 leads us to believe, and some commentators say this, Moses deliberately decided to count himself among the people of God, even though they were literal slaves, 
they were abused, and they were persecuted. And instead of remaining in the palace and taking on some lavish lifestyle of an Egyptian noble, Moses considered that the promises of God, the promises that God had made to Israel, were more valuable. And he chose to identify with them instead. And it wasn't just choosing a different lifestyle. He chose a completely different affiliation, a completely different association. He decided, I'm going to be associated with the impoverished Israelites and their God, the one true God, the God of Abraham. This was, and I'm saying this, I feel like I'm repeating myself again, but this was before the burning bush experience. And as I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm realizing I, I can't imagine that Moses didn't struggle with the temptation that the palace had for him because he had a choice. He resisted the temptation of the flesh and the palace and of the sinful desires. What enabled Moses to resist that temptation? And, and I'm going to say this. Resisting temptation is sacrifice. Any of us who have resisted temptation know that it takes a sacrifice. So what enabled Moses to resist that temptation? The answer, faith. Right back to our main point, deep faith, the God of Israel. He believed specific things based on what he knew about his people, and he acted upon them. There are also a few other instances here of people sacrificing for the sake of God. Right out of the gate, verse 23 it says this, by faith, Moses, when born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Quick clarification, uh, Moses' parents, uh, Amram and Jochebed, they didn't do this because Moses was good looking. Any, anybody who's a parent, of course, looks at their child and thinks it's the most good looking thing in the, in the entire world, but uh, it wasn't that. There's other translations that said, God had given him, given them an unusual child. Or if you read this story in Exodus, it says he was a fine child. But the takeaway here that the, that the author of Hebrews is trying to make, that Moses' parents knew that there was something special about this child. Special enough to sacrifice their own safety, to defy a king. And, and I don't think it's a stretch to make the assumption that God revealed to them that there was something special about their child. Um, and, you know, I've said this before, it's not recommended to make assumptions about things that aren't there in the scripture, but the scripture does have enough instances of childs, of children being foretold um, to be important that we do see a pattern here. So that's my disclaimer. But it does say about Moses' parents, they were not afraid of the king's edict. And that is a legit faith. That is a legit faith to not be afraid. Another instance that we see, okay, in this passage, I'm going to jump down to the end, to verse 31. We see uh, Rahab, the Gentile prostitute. She, too, sacrificed her own safety and defied the king of Jericho because of her faith in the God of Israel. She solely did this based on what she knew about God. And she trusted God's control of the future, causing her to obey God instead of living in the fear of men, we're going to save Rahab for later. Like, I'm already looking forward to talking about Rahab. And then, of course, we see Moses himself. 
there's an instance of Moses defying a king. Not just defying a king, but defying the literal most powerful man in the world. This is a, this is a cool little piece here. This is where we come across one of the biblical contradictions that atheists just love to talk about, right? Because it's stated in Exodus that Moses killed an Egyptian, was found out, became afraid, and then incurred the wrath of Pharaoh. But in our passage here, in verse 27, it says, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Oh no, a contradiction. Quick, throw out your Bible. Here's the thing. Moses overcame his fear of Pharaoh because of another fear, because of a greater fear, the fear of God. He had the fear of the living God. One fear drove out the other. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. That one jumped out at me. Think about that quote for a second. The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And our author's point is that although Moses was afraid, his faith overshadowed his fear because he saw him who was invisible. Our faith says no to the world. Our faith says no to the sinful pleasures and sometimes to the sinful powers Ours is a faith that requires sacrifice. And if looking at that passage and anything that was, that was recently just said, I, I would put forth that the one thing that keeps us the most from sacrificing for our faith is fear. It's been said that the fear of man and the fear of God are two different things. And again, if we get into definitions and words, I, I could say yes and no. They are different things. But there's a biblical truth that says we, in our imperfect human nature, tend to obey the ones that we fear. Right? This is something historically that dictators have taken total advantage of. If there is a person whose reward or approval we desire most, or if there's a person whose disapproval we dread the most, that's the person we usually tend to obey. And if that's why the Bible so often tells us, fear the Lord. Choosing to deny self for a greater purpose, for a greater reward, is so counter to our sinful human nature that it's a sacrifice. And here's, and here's the thing about fear of man. What does the fear of man look like today? Being bullied? Being canceled? The fear of man today might, for the Christ follower be a fear of being perceived as a bad person or being perceived as an ignorant fool. These are things that I would simply like to comment on with a couple of pieces of scripture. Proverbs 1.7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, the end of all matters is this, to fear God and obey his commandments. And Paul says this in Galatians, and this is a tough one. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? 
if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant to Christ. Draw near to God, people. Draw near to God, church. God's revelation, just like his revelation to Moses and to Rahab and to Moses' parents, teaches us to fear the right things. And I've heard it said that as you grow in the fear of God, you automatically decrease in your fear of man. The greater, better displaces the lesser fear. And to grow in the fear of God is to know him and who he is more deeply and more personally. And that's exemplified by Moses' parents and by Moses and by Rahab. So as I close up this first point, I want to give an encouragement. And the encouragement is this. And, and it's a little oxymoronical. In faith, be sacrificially brave enough to fear the Lord. Moving on. Overcoming fear and be willing to sacrifice in our faith sometimes leads to suffering. And again, I want to be careful with words. Okay, the word suffering can call up all kinds of mental thoughts. Like you can be, I'm suffering of a paper cut or a stuffy nose. Or when you think of the word suffering, you can have this Job-esque picture of, you know, laying in a pot of ashes and scraping open boils with broken pottery. For our purposes, again, I would, I'd like to, to, to have a simple and employ a simple definition that applies to the situations. And the definition for suffering is this. Suffering is undergoing physical or psychological pain, distress, and hardship. That is a tough definition based on the fact that we just said that suffering is something that's required by living in faith. But our faith is marked by suffering, and we're going to see that in the passage. In this passage, we're shown men and women who trust God despite immediate personal hardships. And this too, this is a crucial aspect of our faith. Let's go right back to the beginning again because our writer has defined what faith is. How does faith combine with suffering? How do we see suffering in that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen? Where do we see suffering fit into that definition of faith? Well, there's a clear case in our passage and that clear case comes in verse 25 and 26. Moses, again, associating with the enslaved people. It says this, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. All right, in a, in, in a bit, we're going to talk about verse 26. We're going, to, and we're going to go into depth about how awesome verse 26 is. But for now, what I'd love to do is concentrate and said in a different way about Moses' willingness to suffer, suffer for the sake of Christ and possess the riches of the world. Moses believed, I mean, he would have had to, believe that real pleasure, real pleasure comes from Christ. And being counted as a part of God's overarching plan for his people, even though it meant being scorned, was better than the pleasures of Egypt. Maybe today's sermon should have been titled, Better Suffering. <laughs> 
And, and look, I'm going to jump the gun here. We got to see the picture. Moses chose to suffer for the eventual deliverance of God's people from death and slavery. Jesus chose to suffer for the eventual deliverance of God's people from death and slavery. Awesome. Verse 27. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on he who was invisible. God makes visible out of things that are invisible. He works in ways that we can't always see, but we're going to see later on that Moses endured the struggles and the doubts involved that came with trusting God. But that's how deep the man's faith was. If, you, if I feel like I'm repeating myself, it sounds like I'm repeating myself, I am. So I'm going to say it again. Even though it meant being scorned, and denying the pleasures of the world, Moses knew that the real pleasure, even in the midst of real suffering, comes from being counted as a part of God's overarching plan. Faith! That's faith. And I'm getting a little overwhelmed by how layered faith is. Thank God Pastor Tori is doing next time. <laughs> Moses knew real pleasure was found in the suffering. And counted among God's people. Does this, here we go now, does this ring true for us? I mean, it is true. But how real is this concept to us individually? Right? I was talking to a friend uh, about this passage earlier on in the week. And, you know, her takeaway was this. Her takeaway was questions when she read through this passage. What came to her was like, how am I suffering for Christ? How am I standing out to unbelievers? What is my Egyptian palace? What am I being called and willing to do in faith? Those are great questions to ask. Right? Because we fall into this all the time. We see biblical narrative, and it seems far away. But if we really think and put ourselves in that position, that's a hard question to ask ourselves, but it's a good question to ask ourselves. But, please, let me just do a little side note here. Because when we're talking about suffering, there's a danger here. I don't want anybody to get the off-believed idea that we can't be walking in faith unless we're in a perpetual state of suffering. Right? So just a little side note there. We don't want to be like that albino guy in a Da Vinci Code who would you know, whip himself and torture himself because he wanted to relate with Christ. If, if you're in a legitimate season of experiencing God's blessings in your life, thank God for that. Don't let your joy be robbed by an unfounded guilt that tells you you're not suffering enough. Because I'll tell you what, if you're walking in faith, there'll be some suffering. And just like sacrifice, choosing to suffer for a greater purpose or reward is so counter to our human nature and our, and our culture. Remember, and I'm saying this again, faith says no to the world. Faith says no to the sinful pleasures and the sinful powers. And it's because of that that our faith invites suffering. Another person I was talking to about this simply said, 
God's hardship is better than the ease of the world. That was a good quote. That's a tweetable quote. Can you say tweet anymore? It's an exable quote. <laughs> Whatever. But here's the thing about suffering, too. Suffering is undoubtedly more easy to tolerate when we know what the promise and the reward is at the end. When we know what we're suffering for. I had a question mark over this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Listen, I may not have the right to make this analogy, and I will stand totally corrected if need be. <laughs> when I was young and dumb, I used to ask mothers, uh, if the pain of childbirth being a literal curse from God is so bad as it's been described to those of us who can't have children, why would you ever have a second child? Now, in fairness, I wasn't a parent at the time. I remember what their answer was to a degree, but the, the big piece was this for me. Even childbirth, right, even within a divine curse, is a picture, right, an example of suffering for something greater. Taking on a willful suffering because we know that it results in life. Right? How cool is that, right? God embeds his plan even in his punishments. Yell at me afterwards, ladies, if, if I was overstating that. But here's our encouragement for point number two. And it's in the form of a question. By faith... Am I suffering or am I willing to suffer for Jesus' sake with a focus on God's glorious plan? I'm going to let it sit there for a second. All right, I'm going to leave that there for a minute because that is a heavy encouragement. But it is part of our faith. We take on willful sacrifice in our faith. We take on willful suffering in our faith. Why? Because we know and we believe that it leads to salvation. That the end of it is the fulfillment of God's overarching glorious plan. Right? Our faith now is marked ultimately by salvation. Good. Now let's get into the fun stuff. Right? Let's go into the forward-looking stuff that our faith is marked with. And boom, all the way through the passage, God saves Moses from infanticide, verse 23. God saves Moses from a sinful path of worldly excess, 24 through 27. God saves the people of Israel from the angel of death in the first Passover, verse 28. God saves the people of Israel from Pharaoh's armies at the Red Sea, verse 29. God saves the people of Israel from Jericho's army, verse 30. God saves Rahab in verse 31. God's salvation is just everywhere in this passage talking about our faith. Faith and salvation. And we've talked about Moses a lot. Um, I'd like to concentrate on Rahab now and, and show how God saves his people and God saves those who bless him. Okay? Quick recap about Rahab. If you don't know, you've never heard Joshua chapter 2, it looks like this. Moses 
leads the people out of Egypt, takes them out of slavery. Uh, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They find themselves then at the border of the land that God promised them, and they find that it's occupied. Okay. So Moses' successor, Joshua, sends two spies into Jericho to check things out, check out the situation, and they lodge in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. The king of Jericho finds out about these spies, and he, told, and he bids Rahab, send them out to me. Rahab, instead, hides the spies on her roof, lies to the king, saying that the spies left, and then tells the king's men, well, hurry up if you want to catch them, and chases them out of the city. And the rest of the story I'm going to let come from Rahab's own words. And Rahab said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you and when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heavens above and of earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord God, as I have dealt kindly with you, that you will deal kindly with my father's house. Rahab put two and two together. right? And she obeyed God rather than the king of Jericho because she knew where God's favor laid. Not having seen any of it, Rahab's obedience exemplifies a godly faith. She relied on what she knew about God, and she trusted his control of the future, and it led to her salvation. Verse 31 of our passage, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And we need to take seriously both God's judgment and his salvation, as did Rahab. And it should be noticed, of course, that, that the, the level, I guess you can say, of faith that Rahab had, Rahab had, was at another level. But she was not Jewish. She was a Gentile. Not only was she a Gentile, but she was eventually listed in the genealogy of the Messiah. Her great-great-grandson was King David. And the reference to Rahab by the author, the author of Hebrews referenced Rahab in order to reinforce the idea that God's promises and God's salvation in the new covenant are for all people. God's salvation, <laughs> sometimes I write something when I'm preparing a sermon and I think to myself, I can't wait to say this line. God's salvation isn't just a singular moment in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's an overarching, ongoing mark of who we are in him. Our salvation marks us as his. Our faith can and does have repercussions and effects and consequences, just like it did with Rahab, that resonate through the grand story of God's redemptive plan for the earth. Our faith 
Let's live like we know that. My point three encouragement is this. With faith, live with the ceaseless knowledge that Jesus' salvation from sin and death is enduring. Let me recap here. Faith is marked by sacrifice, suffering, and salvation. These have been the encouragements to date. In faith, be sacrificially brave enough to fear the Lord. By faith, be willing to suffer for Jesus' sake with a focus on God's glorious plan. And with faith, live with the ceaseless knowledge that Jesus' salvation from sin and death is enduring. Trying to tie today's passage to the gospel story is only hard because there's just too many ways to do it. Passover, clear picture of the gospel. Moses is, as a messianic foretelling of Jesus, a clear picture. He's the son of a king who chose to sacrifice and suffer. And as we put a bow on today's sermon, I want to get back to how awesome verse 26 is. Let's read it again. He, Moses, thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to a great reward. And I love this, and I'll tell you why. Because one of the weird things that we do in this case actually emphasizes the meaning of the verse. Because we often say Christ like it's a name, right? We interchangeably use Christ with Jesus a lot. And we do it all the time. I do it all the time. And I'll probably continue to do it. Uh, Most of Christendom does. We even sing it. Christ has died and Christ is risen. Christ will come again, right? But But for context in verse 26, it should be understood that Christ, from the Greek word Christos, means anointed one, right? And the Greeks used Christos when they were translating the word, the Hebrew word Messiah or Messiah, they used Christos in that place. Jesus Christ means Jesus, the anointed one, right? Anointed to be savior, anointed to be liberator. Moses probably had no idea that he himself was to become a liberator or an anointed one or a a, a lowercase c, Christ, But he was an echo, he was a shadow of the foretelling of Jesus, the ultimate savior, capital C, Christ. So how cool is it that the author of Hebrews said Christ as a title, we use it as a name and kind of end up being correct. (laughs) Moses chose to be mistreated. Jesus chose to be mistreated. And Moses' chosen identification with the people of Israel is tied to the same faith that we have in Jesus. We have chosen an identification with Jesus and the same faith in God's overall plan that Moses had is ours. He chose. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ by identifying with God's people and that was before Jesus' earthly birth. Think about that for a minute. The mistreatment 
what we get here, the mistreatment suffered by God's people during the Exodus demonstrated their union by grace through faith with the suffering of the Messiah that was to come. The Messiah that we serve. I'm going to let Jesus say it in John 5. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. As the band comes back up, by embracing sacrifice and embracing, embracing sacrifice and embracing suffering and embracing salvation, knowing that this is a notion that's contrary to our foreman fallen human nature and contrary to what our culture tells us. I'll finish by, by an author, Michael J. Kruger, in his book on Hebrews. He sums this entire section up really well, so I'm going to close with that. He said, our faith takes us into a life that is paradoxical and counterintuitive. This whole section on Moses could be summed up by Jesus' teaching in Luke 17, verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus sacrificed, Jesus suffered, and Jesus saved us. May our faith in him and our faith in his Father and in the Spirit also be marked with sacrifice and suffering and the salvation of Christ and all for and to the glory of God. Amen? Amen, church.